But we're so thankful today to have the Cornejo family with us. And the Cornejo is an evangelist called by God. He has been with us in service three times. And every time we have a powerful move of God, every time people have received the Holy Ghost for the first time, he has been a blessing to our church, and I saw him a few months back. They actually are based here out of the Kansas City area. We saw each other in a restaurant a few months back, and I told him, I said, next time you have an opening, let me know. So he was in town for this conference that I mentioned earlier and uh, wanted to stay close to home today. So we're so glad that he is here and his wife is here and his two boys. He's got some awesome young boys over there, and uh, they're going to grow up to be men of God. And I'm confident of what God is already doing in that family. But this conference that we were, I was, we, we live streamed on Thursday, and then I was at services on Friday morning. And it's about the five-fold ministry, the conference, and Paul would write in Ephesians and speaking of Jesus that he gave apostles, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we need people like Brother Cornejo, called of God in this season of his life to be an evangelist, to sow the seed, to build faith. And somebody referenced on Friday that what we do in ministry, when we call, we have people come in from outside or people that are gifted different. I'm called to be in a pastor, to be a pastor, and uh, hopefully I do that decent. But he can do things that I don't do, and you're going to see that if you've not been in service with him, you're going to experience what God is going to do. And so this guy referenced, we're like tag team for the Cornejo, tagging you. You're it. I'm expecting God to do great things. Would you welcome him as he comes right now? Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. I'm so uh, glad to be here to get to you know, be at this church this Sunday morning. Uh, really is a privilege, and I'd say even more so to be be where Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Right, it's about 20% of you that believe that Jesus is here, so I'll say that again, so the rest of you can believe it. Uh, you know, I'm grateful to be at church, and I do have the privilege to be in different churches throughout the country and other parts of the world at times, but it really is a privilege to be in a place on a Sunday morning where you can feel the Spirit of God moving. Because I know when Jesus is here, when He's present, anything is possible. Anything can happen. And so I don't come to church just to have church. I could uh, stay at home and get my, my prayer room, my office, and just talk to God and have church there. But I come to be here, be a part of what God is doing, and most of all, to experience what God is going to do in this service. And so I'm grateful for every one of you, a lot of the new faces, a lot of new faces uh, that I see. It's such a, a privilege and old faces 
uh, not that your face is old, but that you have been here and I have seen you before. And so it is uh, so good to just to be here with every one of you. I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 7, 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 3. And uh, I also would like to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2 after that, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, and I apologize, I didn't give you all that second uh, portion of scripture, but we'll start with 2 Kings chapter 7, and as you're opening your Bible or looking toward the screen, um, I want to just take a brief moment and honor uh, your pastor and his wife and their family. They have set out to, to build a church here, and uh, just an amazing, amazing thing that they have done. Obviously, the hours that they have put in in prayer and time in preparation and uh, just walking with God to ensure that, that what God wants to do in this city is happening the way that God wants it to be done. And so I'm so grateful for them. I know them personally, and I'm so grateful for their friendship as well as their uh, love for revival in this city. And so um, I was telling him earlier, your pastor, I said, you know, my dad started a church, and I normally say we started a church. I was 12, but um, we very much did start that church together. And I was both the, you don't have an offering plate up here, that's all right. You can use my imaginary one. I was both the usher and the giver at the same time. I promise it happened many times. Uh, we started with just me, my mom, dad, brother, and sister. And so we did everything, didn't know how to do it, but we get on YouTube. And one day my dad said uh, to, to me, he said, now someone donated a, a speaker, a sound system, you know, a little board and, and, you know, a control board and some speakers. I want you to set it up. You know, it was like Friday and he wanted it set up by Sunday. He's like, I don't even know what's what, you know, where the yellow and the... And the, and the white goes, some of you didn't even know there was colors to this thing, you know. That was me. So I get on YouTube, and I'm crawling under the church trying to, you know, send the wires from the speaker underneath to the back. I mean, you name it, we did it. Had to learn, had to figure it out. And it was a lot, a lot of work. And uh, I remember one day, I'll just tell you all this because you gave me a little bit more time, so I'm going to take that time. But uh, my brother was nine years old, and my dad, he didn't know anything about how to play the keyboard, and so my dad bought this old, beat-up, cheap organ that my dad doesn't really know how to do music. He doesn't even really have good uh, hearing as far as tune or pitch or any of that type of stuff, so he didn't know it was out of tune, but he grabbed that organ, put it in our garage, and my brother was nine. He said, now he played this song. I don't know if any of you know maybe Fred Hammond, or you've heard Fred Hammond before. Anyway, he's a gospel artist. He does some of the hardest songs you can possibly think of. And uh, he told my brother, he said, I want this song by Sunday. My brother didn't even know A from B and C and so on. And so it was a lot of work to build a church. And indeed, when we had a guest speaker, uh, that's when all of it, everything would go perfectly fine, you know, every other service. But when someone would come or we'd have a revival or scheduled whatever, all of a sudden, the speakers would start blaring, and the microphone would go out. And the, I mean, one t I played the drums, and one time, you know, I literally had the snare up on some box because the stand broke right before the service. I mean, you name it, it happened. And so, uh, but we had great moves of God, 
And uh, God moved in, in a mighty way. Miracles happened and people were filled with the Holy Ghost. And I believe the same is true today. Amen. That God is indeed going to do many great things. If you believe that, why don't you clap your hands and why don't you thank God for what he's going to do. By the way, if there were any technical difficulties or things that happened before this service started or even during, you all probably didn't even realize it because this is the smoothest problem you've probably, you know, I've ever seen any of any church that have ever had any problems. This is the smoothest, this is the smoothest it's ever gone. So anyway, I, I honor your pastor and his wife and family. Why don't we give a little round of applause for them and all of the work that they've done here for this church. Uh, I want to honor my wife and my two boys that I love very, very much. I think my son Jesse is in class, my oldest, and my son David. Um, he, I'm sure you'll hear him worship. He is quite the worshiper. And by that, you know, if he, uh, he's actually, we're trying to teach him right now, he'll kind of start just yelling. You know, we call that worship in my house. That goes for all the other little kids out there. If they start screaming or yelling, they're worshiping, right? All right. Y'all jump on board with me. I promise it'll help our little kids out. But uh, if they start doing that, they're just worshiping. So I honor them. I love them very much. Second uh, Kings chapter 7 says in verse 3, And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. They said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we'll enter into the city, and the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us fall to the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. And verse 5 says, And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. Would you go ahead and put your Bibles to one side? Would you lift up your hands with me, everybody in this building? Would you do that as a sign of surrender unto God? And would you lift up your voice and just begin to talk to God in your own words that he would have his way here today? Jesus, I thank you for the privilege to be in this house. I pray that you would anoint my mind and loose my tongue to speak your word here today, that your will be done, God. I thank you for every miracle that you have already done and every miracle that you are going to do. Every person you're going to fill with the power of your spirit here today. We love you and we magnify you in the name of Jesus. Would you clap your hands and would you magnify the Lord just for a moment? As you stand just for a moment longer, I know some of you are eager to sit down, but I will be standing for the next However long I'm preaching while you are sitting, so I don't feel bad. So you can stand just for a little bit longer. Uh, while you remain standing, I want to tell you this. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with the voice of, of triumph. Now, it's a scripture in the word of God. A lot of preachers say it. I, I will say it, and uh, you'll hear people say it uh, often. But it's not necessarily based on how things are going in your life. This portion of Scripture is not a question. It does not say, if all is well, and everything is good, and the sun is out, and the temperature is right in your life in this season, clap your hands and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. But rather, it is a command that is not based on what's going on around you, how dark, how bright, 
but rather is based on the goodness of God, based on the fact that God is on the throne, that he's alive, that he is not dead, that he is risen from the grave, and that he is still almighty, that he's alpha and omega. So why don't we try that for a moment, whether you feel like it, and especially if you don't. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord, and would you lift up your voice for a moment with the voice of triumph? You might say, I don't feel the victory. That's the best time to do it. So would you lift up your voice for a moment, and would you magnify the name of the Lord? Amen. It feels good to clap your hands in the house of the Lord. Shake somebody's hand around you. Would you do that? I know we didn't do a, a meet and greet, but this could be a brief, abbreviated version. Would you shake somebody's hand all around you? And would you uh, just tell them it's so good to see you? Give them a big smile. After that, you may be seated. Amen. Amen. Now, I uh, am not a long-winded preacher. I'm really not, I promise. But I will finish uh, when you respond. There's about 10% that got that. So I'm going to say it again. I'm not a long-winded preacher, but I will finish when you respond. All right, about 50%. It's all right. Now, I am a preacher, and I do read the Bible. Though I'm not normally long-winded, this is how this works. If the preacher, your pastor, or any preacher gets here and feels like you're not getting it, you know what they do? They start reaching in their Bible. Okay, I need to, I need to go with this example and that example, and I need to keep on because until somebody gets it, right? So if you, sooner you get it, the sooner it'll, I'll know that, and then we'll just carry on and God will have his way. But I want to talk to you for a brief moment on this topic, the possibilities of the impossible. The possibilities of the impossible. Now, I believe that where Jesus is, absolutely anything can happen. When Jesus was on this earth, God robed in flesh on this earth. He did miracles. It was common. It was natural to do the supernatural because that's who Jesus is. He's God robed in flesh. And so for him to tell the blind to see was a natural occurrence. For him to tell the lame to walk was supposed to be that way. For him to tell the dead to come back to life. He had authority and still does over death, hell, and the grave. And so when there was darkness in the beginning of this world, as the Bible says in the book of Genesis, the Bible said, God said, let there be Light. It is in the nature, in the will of God, in the identity of God to do the impossible. That where there is an impossible situation for somebody like you and I to uh, jump or to get through or to see hope at the end of the dark tunnel where there is an impossible situation, that's where God is drawn to. That's where God sees. That's what he looks at when somebody's in the middle of their work 
worst situation of life, guess what? That is the moment uh, where Paul said, when I am weak, that's when he is strong. Why? Because God is not attracted to the strong. God's not attracted to the proud and arrogant and haughty, those that say, I can do it on my own. But God is attracted to those that say, I am in need of a Savior. I am in need of somebody to touch my life, to move on my behalf, because I am at the end of my wit. I'm at the end of what I can do, and now I am hoping and wishing, believing that God will intervene and do what only he can do. If that's you here today, would you just clap your hands and would you thank God for that understanding? Because when you come to that place of faith, that's when God begins to move on our behalf. When miracles are needed, guess what? I believe God is very, very, very near. When there is a situation you need God to move on, that's the moment that God begins to be close. And these four leprous men, if we think about their sickness, uh, it's not leprosy, not something that we necessarily here in America uh, quite deal with, not very prominent here in America. We don't really understand it. It's not a day-to-day sickness that you and I would normally have to deal with. But back in the day, leprosy was a sickness that would affect the nervous system. And eventually, because the people could not feel the pain that they were in or feel themselves walking through a flame of fire, they could see it, but they could not feel the pain or they could not feel the pain of bumping into something that normally you and I would walk around eventually their body would begin to fall apart and then as well their body would also begin to deteriorate their limbs would fall off their fingers and toes and nose and ears and so on it was a very gruesome sickness and so these four leprous men were lepers obviously is what the bible said they were diagnosed with this sickness and they were given no hope everyone say no hope everyone say no hope all right, they were given no hope, no, no way out. And they were told, look, you have leprosy, you're going to go to that camp, and when you get there, you are not allowed to leave. You're not allowed to come back to your family. You're not allowed to come back to life as you know it. Obviously, with COVID and so on, we have a, a little bit of a better understanding of what maybe they had gone through. Some of you maybe were not allowed to be around your loved ones in their last moments. That was these leprous men. They were not allowed to be around their family and what they knew as familiar because it was highly, highly contagious. So they were sentenced. You need to go and live in this leprous camp that is outside of our city walls. And back then they had fortified cities. It was a bit different than what we have now. And so they said, you need to go. You need to live there, be there. Do not come back to our city. You are not welcome in these walls where people are able-bodied and people are whole in their body and do not have this sickness because you will affect the entire community and the entire city and eventually the entire country and obviously they would eventually all die of leprosy. So those four leprous men were in a rough situation to say the least. And while they're there in this leprous camp, the Bible says that they catch wind, they get some understanding that where they are from, there's a famine. And famine is not something, once again, that we are here in America completely familiar with. Uh, For us, when some of you 
don't eat for three hours and your stomach is growling, you say, oh, I'm starving. Is there anybody here today? Be honest, please. Would you do? Would you raise your hand in honesty and say, that's you. I'm going to have to change the message. We have a bunch of liars here. My dad, he, uh, he's a great man of God, but I will say he is human. And uh, we knew as kids growing up, now if he was hungry and it was pre-dinner and we wanted something, money, wanted to go somewhere, go to a friend's house, whatever it may be, my sister would tell me I'm the oldest. So she would, you know, that means I'm the wisest. I'm just kidding. But she would say, now, is uh, this a good time to ask pops about such and such? And so, you know, this situation I need to, some help on or whatever. I'd like to go here and do this. I'd say, hey, hold on, hold on. As soon as mom brings the food out and he gets his first few bites, then we can go in and start asking. Because we already knew, hey, if pops is hungry, the whole car is just silent. You know, the whole house is, don't say anything because... He is a man, and he is human, and we understood that. Now, I'm not talking about that kind of famine that you have in your house when you don't have any, at least in my house, tortillas left, you know, you don't have any bread left or whatever it is you eat in your house, you know. I'm not talking about that where you can go to the grocery store and pick up some more. I'm talking about a real famine. There was no crops growing from the ground anymore, no cattle to kill and eat anymore. I mean, a famine that literally people would starve and die because they had no food. And so these leprous men caught wind of all this, and, and they, they start talking within them, themselves. They say, look, now in our country where we're from, there's a famine. It's not good to go there. <clears throat> we're not allowed to go there. It's against the law to go there because we're lepers. But... In the event that we did, and we just got a crazy idea, kind of left our norm where we are, what we know as lepers, and we decided to go to our country against the law, we would probably die of starvation before we died of leprosy and this sickness. And so they begin to reason among themselves, and they say, now... Obviously, there was probably one ambitious one that said, well, maybe we could go to the enemy's camp, Syria. Now, that makes no sense whatsoever. Because if your own people don't want you in your country, what makes you think when you approach the enemy's fortified city, they're going to let you in? There's no way. It's not going to happen. They're looking at you. Not only are you the enemy, but you are leprous. Kill him on the spot right now. Forget this guy. We don't want him here in this city. He's going to affect our entire country eventually. And so they begin to reason within themselves. They say, but what if, what if they decide to take us alive? What if the enemy, who we know it is unlikely and the odds are stacked against us, we recognize that it probably won't happen, but what if everybody say what if everybody say like you mean it say what if what if they save us alive and give us a little food to eat and and take us in the city and and maybe they might help us a little bit we we don't know it's not likely but what if 
They begin to reason within themselves and all of a sudden where there was no hope, hope begins to rise and as they kind of talk amongst themselves and one says, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And the other say, well, do you have a better idea? We're going to die here anyways in this leper's camp. So what's the better idea you've got? And what they begin to recognize is, look, if we go to our country, we'll probably die of a famine. If we go to Syria, we'll probably die, but, which is the enemy's camp, but there's a slight chance we might live. There's a what if we're holding on to, but there's one thing we know that is a fact in where we are right now and that is that if we do the same thing we've always done and we don't get out of this leper's camp then guess what we are for sure going to die with this sickness in our body so we might as well try something we have never tried before we might as well have faith where we've never believed before so I've come to tell somebody here today that where you are in your situation I guarantee that if you stay there and say well this is another service like every other I guess I just come just to come another day I guarantee you'll walk out of this place the exact same way you walked in but the moment you decide well maybe I might as well try to clap my hands I might as well lift up my voice I might as well try something I have never tried before if the preacher says hey let's magnify God I might as well magnify God because I need God to move in my life here today would somebody clap your hands right now and would you lift up your voice and shout unto God because when you begin to shout when you don't feel the victory guess what all of a sudden victory begins to fill the room when you begin to shout when sickness is in your body guess what all of a sudden faith begins to move and healing begins to be stirred in the atmosphere because when you exalt the king of kings and the lord of lords every other sickness every other situation is just an idol it's just another god and guess what every other god has to bow to the almighty god so would you clap your hands and would you magnify god here today go ahead somebody that has a need i'm not talking to the perfect here today i'm not talking to everybody that's got it figured out i'm talking to somebody today that says i need god to move i'm no longer comfortable in my situation i'm tired of living with the same sickness in my body i'm tired of living in the same situation i've always been in I'm telling you, God is going to do the miraculous here today. If you believe that, I didn't ask if you feel it, but if you believe that, if you have faith that God is going to do it, would you clap your hands in faith that God is going to do the miraculous here today? I know it is different. I know it is out of some people's comfort zone to get to a place of worship in faith, get to a place where you clap your hands, you shout, you dance, you run, and I've seen them do it all. Where, we, uh, where I grew up, in the church that we started, 
We had a horse trough. We'd baptize people in. You all got this nice portable baptism tank, you know. I think my dad's still using a horse trough. <laughs> anyway, he's been there like, oh, I don't know, about 18 years, I think. <laughs> anyway, and we'd bring this horse trough up on the platform. I remember one day, this guy, he was already baptized in Jesus' name. And uh, he'd already been, you know, in the water, come out. He'd been filled with the Holy Ghost. He's a Holy Ghost believer like you and me. And, and one day during the service, I was over here sitting down on the platform and getting ready to go ahead and preach. And I remember all of a sudden the power of God got to moving. Horse trough was filled up on the platform, kind of by my drum set over there. I was the drummer. And so I remember this guy got up and he jumped on the platform and he dunked himself in the water. He got up and he just took off. Off the plat- jumped off the platform, and everybody's like, oh, we're having a revival. <laughs> Amazing. All right. I mean, we got a guy, my dad's church, he used to be a, a, a gymnast, and he's a teacher and so on. He used to be, and, and uh, he would teach, and, uh, you know, just gymnastics and all that stuff, and just, just what he did. It was his life. So when the Holy Ghost gets moving on him real, real big, I mean, he does it to this day. He would literally, down the center aisle, he'll take off, and he'll start doing cartwheels. He'll start doing cartwheels down the center aisle. We knew, hey, man, we're having a revival. Jesus is moving. It's happening. And tears streaming down his face. I'm not talking about people just having fun, just out there having a good time. No, I'm talking about people that recognize, man, hey, if it had not been for the Lord, I would have died a leper. If it had not been for the Lord, I would have died in my depression. If it had not been for the Lord, I'd still be in my suicidal thoughts. If it had not been for God, I'd still be addicted. If it had not been for his grace and his mercy, his blood that was shed on the cross, that's why people clap their hands. Why? Not because everything's been good in your life, but because you were like the four leprous men because I was like the four leprous men and I recognize hey if it had not been for the goodness of almighty God reaching down into my life reaching down into my dark world and bringing light I would not be here today what a privilege it is to be in the presence of God one lady who was in Austin, Texas, uh, a few months back, last year, I'd say about October time. And uh, I remember preaching. don't remember what I talked about. I just remember Jesus being in the room. And while Jesus was in the room, I recognized people did not wait for Jesus to walk up their aisle. Did not wait to feel all of a sudden the goosebumps, and then say, oh, now's the time. No, I, I watched very clearly there in that sanctuary as people came to the altar on their own. They begin to lift up their hands in, in response to the presence of God and, and in faith that God was going to do the impossible. And I watched this lady bring a wheelchair up to the front. She brought her wheelchair. And I walked over to where she was because I felt so much faith on her and I, I knew Jesus could do anything and I figured this is this is probably the best time for her to receive a miracle and start walking. Why not, right? We believe the Bible like that, right? And so I walked over to the other side of the the, the platform, my left, your right, and I and I got there was a step here and I began to take that step down and as I got to taking that step down, 
Before I could reach my hand out, which was my next move, and pick her up out of that wheelchair and say, in the name of Jesus, walk, as she was not able to walk at all. remember looking at her, and she looked up at me. I don't know if she was scared or filled with faith. I recognized and observed it was that she was filled with faith, but she looked up at me, and she pushed her own self up out of the wheelchair. Didn't wait for me. When she pushed herself up, she got up a little bit wobbly. I watched, and I said, hey, how do you feel? She said, well... I, I had pain in my legs, and I wasn't able to walk, but I don't feel any pain anymore. I said, well, start walking in Jesus' name. And she started walking all over that church. The power of God healed her body. She recognized that, hey, I could wheel my chair out of this building the same way I wheeled it in. But if Jesus is here, I might as well try Jesus. If Jesus is here, I might as well give him a chance to be my joy. I might as well give him a chance to be love. I might as well give him a chance to be the God that he says he is. Would somebody clap your hands and thank God here today because he's going to do it in this house. And I'm telling you, when you get home, you don't have to go home to the same depression. You don't have to go home to the same fear. You don't have to go home to the same suicidal thoughts. I'm telling you, God is going with you. God will be with you. And when he is with you, there is nobody that can stand against the people of Almighty God. Would you clap your hands just for a moment and thank God for that understanding. I am so grateful to be in a place where people believe and know that Jesus can do anything. My father-in-law and I have mentioned this, I believe, at this church, but there's a lot of new faces, and so I'm going to say it again. But uh, my father-in-law is a great man of God. He's a pastor in Hawaii by the name of Jonathan Sanders. And, and I remember him telling me a testimony, and he said, you know, uh, there was a, a boy that drowned in the ocean. He pastors out there in Hawaii. He drowned, and he fell to the bottom of the ocean. And uh, by the time they had got him out of the water and so on, Sand had already filled his lungs. Sand had already filled a lot of his body, I guess, and and was coming out of his mouth and his ears and so on. When they put him in the hospital, I mean, he was already dead over two hours by the time my father-in-law got there. And my father-in-law was asked to go just to kind of comfort the family as the pastor and to be there with them in their time of mourning their son. This accident, tragic accident that happened. So when he walked in, he also told me this. He said, you know, the boy's father was an atheist, and, and he was flying in from Washington, and he was flying into Hawaii as soon as he got the news. And he said, I walked into the, the room there where the family was and the boy, and, and he said that boy who they had already, you know, he was already pronounced dead over two hours and sand all in his lungs, he said, I, I, I realize he is dead, you know, but I, feel, I felt like he told me speaking the word of God. So I just felt like speaking the word of God. I know Jesus could do anything, so why not try Jesus? Somebody today, God's going to give you a chance to try him like you have not before. <clears throat> so he got there to the side of the bed. 
And he said, he told me like this, he said, I just started speaking, you will live and not die. You will live and not die. First time, a little bit lower. He said, you know, as it progressed, a bit more faith and more fervor, and you will live and not die. You will live and not die. You will live and not die. And he began to pronounce those words over that boy that had been drowned for over two hours, dead, sand in his lungs. You understand that is an impossible thing if you think about it in our terms. And as he began to speak the words, you will live and not die. All of a sudden, that boy who was lifeless, no breath in his body, came back to life. And breath began to feel his lungs and his heart began to beat again. Can I tell you that atheist father said, hey man, he said, I flew all the way over here to bury my son, but because of your God, I don't have to bury my son anymore. I'm here to tell you that God is real and that he is here right now and that there is nothing that is impossible for God to do. If you believe that today, why don't you stand to your feet and why don't you clap your hands as a testimony that God can and that God will do the impossible. Go ahead for a moment. I feel like somebody just kind of want to clap your hands and lift up your voice. Uh, Don't worry about the rest of the message. Uh, Why don't you lift up your voice for a moment? Uh, The Bible said it uh, to let us rejoice. The Bible said it come before his presence with thanksgiving. Uh, Would you do that right now in this room? Uh, As we begin to thank God all over this room, God's going to begin to do what only he can do in this place. You can remain standing. I believe that God wants to heal today. You believe that? Say amen if you believe that. God wants to deliver, and indeed he is going to do it. I was in Thailand a few weeks ago, and these sweet, amazing Thai people filled with faith were all around in that sanctuary, about a thousand of them. And I remember as we were there in that service, The preacher preached. I was just there helping pray with people. He preached about unity. And as he preached about unity, I remember watching two Thai women walk over to this lady in a wheelchair. And the lady wasn't really moving or budging. They looked and said, do you want to walk? And they picked her up out of the wheelchair. And as they partnered with her, their faith uh, began to be contagious, you know. And all of a sudden, she got up out of the wheelchair. And the first step was a little wobbly. But by the time she got up on the platform, which is where all the rest of the 40-something people that were healed were at, she walked on the platform. And at this point, she was now completely healed. Not only was she walking, but she was dancing and she was jumping as Jesus healed her body. I'm telling you here today that the impossible is possible in this place. That your impossible situation is what God is gravitating toward. And he indeed is going to do the miraculous here right now. What I would like in this room right now, this is so, so, so very important. I'd like you to to, to grab your neighbor where it's appropriate. Would you do that? Your friend, your wife, husband, kids, whoever it may be, person you brought with you. If you are alone, get out of your pew for a moment and connect with somebody, please. This is so important because we're not here to leave you alone. We're not here so that you can be on an island all by yourself. We are here as a body of believers. Just like that woman needed those two to pull her out of the wheelchair. 
Some of you may need that here today. But we're going to be with you in this prayer. Is that all right? What I like now, this is so very, very important, though it is extremely practical, is I want you to bring them on down to this altar area. That person you're holding, connected to, say, let's go on down to this altar. Now, this is you stepping out of that leper's camp. You could stay where you are, and you'll be like you are. But you can try Jesus and watch him change your life. As you get here, would you gather in just a little closer for those coming behind you? There are a few kind of still in the, in the aisle there. Thank you so much. As you get here, you can let go of that person next to you because this next prayer is going to be so very important, but it is going to be individual. All right? We're going to ask Jesus for forgiveness. And I want you to know the reason I've told you let go of the person next to you now is because you cannot ask for forgiveness for the person next to you. I cannot ask for forgiveness for your sins, and you don't want to ask for forgiveness for my sins. I may be a preacher, but I am still a human being, same as all of us. So we're all today, everybody. I'm grateful the sound men came all the way up here. I normally say I want the sound men to repent, but he's already ready to go. I appreciate that. We're all going to repent, everybody in this room. We're going to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. And when we ask Jesus to forgive us, I want this church to know Jesus does not forgive like you and I, all right? You know, I've got friends, Brother Anthony, I know he's not here today. You all probably know him, your pastor's son, right? Okay, you all love him. He's a good, good guy. We're connected. We're friends. And I used him the other day, actually, when I was preaching in St. Louis. He was there. I said, Brother Anthony, when he does me wrong, and I make him wait a week before he can talk to me again. How many of you forgive like that? Don't raise your hand. Don't shout hallelujah. I know it's out there. You can tell by the faces. Somebody does you wrong and, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them sweat it out for a little bit before I respond to their text or their call, whatever the deal may be. So Jesus does not respond or that way. He does not forgive that way. Matter of fact, when he died on the cross... And his blood was shed. That was for the sins that you had not yet committed. And so guess what? All you have to do is cry out unto the Lord and repent. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my heart. I'll lead us in a prayer here in a moment. And he'll be faithful and just to forgive you. Just like that. Just like that. You confess, he forgives. It's uneven trade, but we get the better end of the deal. So right now, now this, this part's important. Because if you don't go through this part, then we can't accept the rest of what Jesus wants to do in our life. All right? So would you go ahead and bow your head, everybody in this room? And I would like here today, everybody in this place, you can lift up your voice. That's all right. And in your own words, if you know a prayer of repentance to pray with your own words, your own verbiage, that's all right. If you don't know what to pray, you can repeat after me. Just mean it from your heart. But let's go ahead and pray a prayer of repentance here today. Jesus, would you cleanse my heart, God? 
Would you wash me of my sins? I pray that you would touch my heart, God, that you would forgive me of the things that I know I've done wrong. Forgive me of the things I don't know I've done wrong. God, I pray right now for those that have done wrong against me, that have trespassed against me, that have hurt me, that have done wrong on my part. I forgive them, God. I I release them right now that your love can flow onto me and onto them as well. In the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit would move on me and fill me with the power of the Holy Ghost here today. In the name of Jesus, if you believe that God has forgiven you, would you clap your hands here all over this, this building? I'm going to tell you this last thing, and I am done, but I, I'm going to give us all a chance to pray. This is so very important. I will get an opportunity to come down and pray with you. There are others that have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost in this room. You are going to help me work the altar. You're going to help me pray with those maybe that are seeking the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I want to tell you, when you receive the gift of the Spirit of God living on the inside, it's a whole lot different when He's around you versus when He's inside of you. When He's inside of you, you can be all alone. Midnight hour, the enemy creeps in and fear and depression, suicide and anger and addiction and whatever else you've been dealing with begins to creep in like it always has. But when Jesus lives in you, the Bible says you can tell the enemy, hey, you know what? Greater is he that is in me, not around me, he that is in me than he that is in the world. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, you'll begin to speak words and sentences you don't understand. And when you speak words and sentences you don't understand, that is evidence that you have received what they did on the day of Pentecost. You have received the gift of the Spirit of God living inside of you. I want to tell you this last testimony about my dad and the reason I'm here today. My dad, uh, and we'll pray together. What we're going to do is we're going to shout hallelujah I'm going to speak a word of faith as you shout hallelujah. Here's the key. Those helping me pray, don't leave somebody, please, until they are done praying. All right? We are going to be with you. We're going to be with you as long as you want to pray. As long as you want to receive the Holy Ghost, we'll stay with you. I remember my dad told me this. Um, I wasn't born yet when this all happened, but he was not born in church. He was not raised in church. He was involved in gangs and drugs and all that life. Didn't know any other way of life. His whole mentality of faith was they would drive past the Catholic church, and as they were cruising, he said, they would put out the joint, they'd put down the beer, and they would lower the music real low, and they would say their quick prayer in whatever respect or reverence they had for the building of the Catholic church. As soon as it was out of sight, they would raise the music back up, light the joint, pick up the beer again, and just carry on about their day doing whatever sin they desired to do. Real faithful people, right? So as they would do that, they didn't really know much about Jesus. My grandma would take them to the church, Catholic church. And on Sunday morning, he said my, my grandma would be in the, in the church, and he'd walk out in the pla- or on the uh, the parking lot, and he'd walk out of the parking lot and just light up a joint, and that was his church right there. He didn't really know anything else. So one day he was in jail, and 17 years old, was going to be sentenced to 13 years of state penitentiary as an adult, tried as an adult. 
And uh, he didn't know what to do. A lady asked him, what do you want? He said, well, I want to get out. He started fasting five days. Didn't know what fasting was. And so longer story short, he finally finds himself before the judge. And as he's standing before the judge and they're going to give him his sentence for 13 years state penitentiary, he also previously had told that lady who had told him, what do you want from God? Your God didn't do anything for me. No, he didn't help me. I'm still going to be sentenced. I'm not getting out. And so he's standing before the judge now, shackled up. And he said, all of a sudden, the judge was talking to him. And my uncle, my uncle Ralph, who's worse than my dad, walked into the back of the courthouse, disrupts the entire proceeding. And all of a sudden, the judge looks at my uncle and says, hey, Ralph, is that you? He says, yeah, it's me, judge. And he said, I thought I told you next time I saw you, I was going to send you away for life. My uncle was much worse than my dad. And he said, no, 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 judge, I didn't come under those conditions. I, I'm no longer that way. I don't live that way anymore. I, I, uh, you see, he was much worse with drugs and heroin and so on and gangs and all that. He said, now I told the judge, he said, I, I told the judge, look, you know, I went down to this program and I was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when I was filled with the Spirit of God living inside of me, man, it compelled me to be baptized in Jesus' name. And my life has been changed. I, I didn't know Jesus before, but now I've got joy. Now I feel peace. And now I feel love. And I feel Jesus on the inside. The judge looked at my dad and said, look, I don't know what's going on, but your brother was worse than you. And so if this Jesus can fix and change him that I'm sentencing you to whatever church he went to. You need to go do your time over there, and I want you to go get filled with the Holy Ghost and so on. My dad was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and baptized in Jesus' name, and today he is a pastor preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that Jesus is in this room right now, here today. Would you lift up your hands all over this room? With your own words, would you lift up your voice right now? Would you do that? I want you to go ahead and lift up your voice. And with your own words, would you begin to magnify the name of the Lord? Would you begin to thank God for what he's doing right now in this place? This is so important. We're going to shout hallelujah on the count of three. And as we shout hallelujah, many of you will begin speaking with other tongues uh, as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance. Uh, would you lift up your voice all over this room right now by the authority of the Word of God and by the power that's in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, every one of you, uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, everybody, let's shout hallelujah One. Two, three. Hallelujah. hallelujah. That's it. Go ahead. Would you go ahead and speak hallelujah until you start speaking with other tongues? God's beginning to move right now. Would you lay hands on somebody around you? Would you help me lay hands on somebody around you in the name of Jesus as God begins to move here today?